This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous full-time champs and feel the power! It's a new day, yes it is! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in your face, covering Pac-12 football news. Thank you for listening. You can follow the podcast for free on Twitter at 12-Pack Radio, and you can subscribe free on any podcast catcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, you name it. We are there. And Rob, I'm joined by Mr. Rob Aaron, by the way, the uh, the master and commander of the Beta Rank College Football Advanced Statistical Model. What's going on, Rob? Well, I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm very bummed that Oklahoma's in the playoff. Um, because Alabama is going to drown them in a pool. Um, it's going to get ugly. It's going to be an, an offensive atomic bomb dropped on that game. It's going to be so delicious to watch. Um, who did you think should have been in besides Oklahoma? I actually think you should have put Georgia in again. Um, Georgia Clemson would be a legitimately good game. Um, somebody's got to get murdered by Alabama and it might as well be Notre Dame. Um, but Ohio state would also get, completely slaughtered by alabama um same as ucf those teams finished 12 13 and uh 14 in the model uh the most recent run so um i'm hopeful that this year actually what people always talk about it's it's the conferences being left out that is going to cause the playoff to blow up to eight teams and i actually think it's going to be uh blowouts that cause the playoff to get blown up and there's almost there's there's almost always one. Um, I mean, in 2016, Washington got boat raced by Bama. Um, yeah. Like the, what was the one Ohio state just got mauled by Clemson that year too. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some, uh, there's some bad games in the playoffs sometimes. And, uh, this playoff is, is not looking good. And if I recall, both of those games were on new year's. So all I had to do was like peek yeah. in and go up, oh, oh, don't have to watch these. And then just went, <laughs> continue to drink mold wine or whatever was on the table. Well, that'll hurt them eventually, right? Like if you don't have good game, like people don't tune in for the whole game. Um, so it'll be, it'll be money and people voting with their, their feet. Well, even though there isn't a Pac-12 team in the college football championship, there is a lot of talk about we have Washington winning the Pac-12 yet again. Um, man, so last time they won, Rob, you had, we talked about before the podcast was 2016, right? Yes, 2016. Uh, and before that was all the way back in 2000. Um, and then they had the unfortunate Ty Willingham era. Uh, but this is their, their 17th. Uh, conference title. So congrats to the Huskies. 17, man. I uh, Congratulations to our friend of the dog pod. We'll break that game down against Utah. Um, our condolences to Utah. Um, shouts to making the Pac-12 South Championship and actually making it to the title game. But um, could have used a quarterback and, and a starting running back against that Washington defense, which we will cover. We also have the big game to cover and then a really interesting four-part series out of the Oregon- Oregonian 
covering Larry Scott in the Pac-12. We'll cover that. We'll cover some bowls, just some basic impressions and some of our players of the year. And that'll be quite fun. So definitely tune in as we continue. But Rob, let's, um, where do you want to start? You want to start with the big game or you want to start with the championship? We have to start with the championship. It's the championship. I mean, no offense to the big game, but. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I, I made money on the big games. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I want to talk about that more. Um, no, so Washington 10, Utah 3. This was, look, when we talked about this game last week, the biggest question was, where are the points going to come from? And the answer was nowhere. Rob, the points are coming nowhere. <laughs> the points are coming off a Utah player's shin, apparently. <laughs> that was um, so crazy, that play. I did. Oh, my gosh. I'm like at a, so I'm at a bar by myself, um, which, which is often the case. You know, usually at one in the morning in, in tears. <laughs> no, no, I, I wanted to watch the game outside the house, so I went to a bar and watched it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like yelling the fact that that was um, – it's just a crazy play. Um, but to kind of get back to give these teams their due, we knew that Utah's defense was awesome, and we knew that Washington's defense was awesome. And we also knew that Shelly and Shine, you know, obviously were the backups. It was going to be difficult for Utah to move the ball. They certainly did against BYU. I loved how they stepped up the last couple of games with Shelly. I thought he really showed some promise. I know he's young. Um, he's got a pretty good future at Utah. But when you go up against Ben Burkirvan and Byron Murphy and this Washington defense, the biggest question was how were they going to move the ball? And you can't throw three picks. <laughs> I mean, you just can't. You can't no. throw three picks, period. But you certainly can't throw them against Washington. Um, no. I, you know, it's interesting, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we go into the bowls. But Washington drew an Ohio State team, and like I know, I know last last week we were talking about really wanting Utah to win because it kind of changes stuff up and all that stuff. That. I don't want to take away from the fact that Washington's defense is quite good and it'll be fun to see them play against an inconsistent Ohio state team. Um, and I liked the fact that we talked about this before the podcast. I want to, don't want to do the big reveal on terms of like what the model says about that game. Um, but I, I look, this was an impressive defensive showing from both sides. It was just a bummer that the offenses didn't show up. Rob. No, I agree. And I, th- I think that Washington's offense, which, had been projected to be considerably better than they had been this season, especially with as much talent really as they brought back. Um, they're kind of they've been kind of slipping a little bit down the stretch. And this was this is a very very good Utah defense. I mean, make no bones about it. But um, like Washington really really struggled. I mean, even far more than in their game at Salt Lake, uh, Washington really struggled offensively um, in this game, and it's. it's good like good ohio state is a great draw for them in some ways because the ohio state defense is so inconsistent um and it should give them an opportunity to sort of uh, work some kinks out and not feel so much pressure um (laughs) they not feel not feel chase hansen breathing down your neck all game (laughs) i mean i would i mean i would argue that ohio state's defense is fairly good too but um I would much rather see Washington in this game against Utah against um, against Ohio State than watching Utah against Ohio State. It's just tough, yeah. man, to have. I think Shelley's a freshman. I have to go back and look. I'm 99 percent sure he's a freshman. Yeah, to have him and have Zach Moss out and then throw them into a New Year's Bowl against um, an Ohio State team that will likely um, likely come to play. It's it's possible that they don't since they were shut out of the the college football playoff. You never know how those teams are going to react to that. Um, 
But at least giving Miles Gaskin and Jake Browning one more shot um, in a New Year's Day bowl will be good. Uh, I, I'm excited. I'm glad that Gaskin came back for the the end. I know he was hurt for a little while, so it was you know having him be able to do his stuff. I know he only. I'm using only in scare quotes right now. Got 71 yards, but that Utah run defense is quite nasty. So oh, having yeah. him out there was certainly a bonus for Washington. It'll be fun to see him play Ohio State. Uh, with that said, like the offense again was rough, and um, I don't know. It was just really tough. Like uh, I'm watching the game, and I'm just waiting for something to happen. And like you mentioned, lo and behold, there's a, a ball that bounces off the shin of the player. <laughs> you, you know, I guess we could talk special teams, Rob. There is a <laughs> Some special team sighting in the game? <laughs> I mean, Utah definitely had the special teams advantage in this game. And actually, in the, in the second half, I mean, unlike the game in Salt Lake where Utah couldn't really flip the field, um, Utah was able to flip the field a bit on on Washington uh, using using special teams a bit in this game. and uh, But they just couldn't make it pay. I mean, Utah had some pretty good field position in this game and just could not punch it in. But Washington... Uh, Man, like there were, there were some. Jake Browning didn't look great. Uh, The 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 Washington receivers who have really struggled didn't look great. The offensive line didn't look great. Um, You know this this is an offense that is going to have to. They're going to have to step up because Ohio State has a uh, a very very good offense, Um, and they're they're gonna they're gonna throw the ball around um, like like and accepting the Washington state blizzard game, like Washington, like a team like Washington hasn't really seen since they played Stanford. I, when they rolled out Peyton Henry to kick that field goal, like I think it was like 30 to 35 <laughs> yeah. yards. Yeah. Like there's no, so the, I think, I think Washington was on like the 25 and the announcer goes, all right, we're getting into Washington field goal range. <laughs> and I like almost, yeah. almost spit my beer. You out. just know it's not. They're like, <laughs> oh no, this isn't going to work. It, it sounded so depressing and, and I still knew it was wrong. <laughs> and of course they get it to him. He, he, I think it was either blocked or he, he missed it. I, I got to go back and remember. But um, I, I just was like, there's no way that this is going in. But they won anyway. And uh, I'm just trying to think of anything else to cover in this game. I guess the the big picture thing is when we're watching these other conference championships that are putting up lots of points, um, the games are exciting. Um, And like right after that four part series about Larry Scott comes out and then you have a conference championship game that's 10 to three, just not a good look, Rob. No. And look, I mean, People are going to say, like, you don't like to see defensive football. I'm like, I enjoy seeing a good defense. I don't enjoy seeing a good defense taking on bad offenses. No one wants to see that. That is the worst kind. Like, I don't mind watching two good offenses just light up bad defenses. Like, that's at least fun. But just watching two mildly effective offenses just get battered by two good defenses is just not my cup of tea. Because it's it starts to look like incompetence porn. And that was that was a little bit of the Pac-12 championship game. Um, I mean, the game was effectively won on uh, a, a kicked a kicked ball that turned into a pick six. Like um, that was not that was not pretty football. Yeah. Well, congrats. To, I mean, again, looking back, Utah nine and four having to run the gauntlet. Like, congrats to them on doing that. That was that's a good year. And, and be excited for next year, Utah fans. Like as I as I recollect from having looked at the roster, like next year's might be your year. 
it'll be interesting to see which quarterback emerges. I would assume yeah. it's the Georgia transfer over at Washington, but they certainly have a number of blue chip quarterbacks there. A number uh, of Jakes. <laughs> a number of Jakes. At least two more Jakes on the team. Uh, Savan Ahmed coming back. He is the next coming of Gaskin. I'm really excited to watch him. Uh, I will, Rob, we'll definitely do like the postseason recaps of these teams and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see who's leaving from that defense and uh, because it was good. And yeah. I know that Peterson has been recruiting fairly well on the defensive side. So Washington will still be good. It, it'll just be a different team. And I got to kind of sort through what that looks like. And we'll definitely do that as the postseason um, progresses and as we move into the offseason. So anything else on the Pac-12 championship? Uh, no, I mean, just really congratulations to the Huskies. I mean, it was not a, uh, this was not a vintage or great PAC 12 year, but anytime you can win a conference title, I mean, that's definitely something you remember and put up on your bulletin board and, you know, keep the trophy and the, the trophy that looks weirdly like human genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was really, you know, the, the, the MVP trophy is like a miniaturized version of it. Um, so Washington has two of them. Congrats. Like so, one, one, one's travel size and you can take with you. Have you ever, so do you watch world, uh, world ride wrestling or WWE? No, I do not. Oh my gosh. So it is, it, you should, it's like my guilty pleasure. And a few years ago there was, um, the Miz is still this character and he was, a uh, a reality star that ended up getting into wrestling. Surprise, surprise. And, but he had this guy that followed him around and, so the the first guy's name is Miz, the Miz, and the second guy's name was Damian Sandow. And Damian Sandow did this gimmick where he came out and he changed his name to Damian Mizdow. And in in uh, tag team uh, matchups, he would do everything that the Miz did in the ring. So if the Miz got punched in the face on the side of the ring, he'd get punched in the face. And if the Miz fell down, he would fall down. It was hysterical, but. <laughs> the, the the reason I, it's, it's probably one of the best gimmicks that's happened. The reason I bring this up is because the Miz would come out with both tag team titles around his own belt, and he wouldn't give his tag team title to Damian Mizdow. So Damian Mizdow came in with miniature titles, like dude, that he <laughs> that he clearly just bought at like the like the kids store, and they're the little so like you have the the you have the Miz uh, human genitalia, and then the Mizdow genitalia. So congrats to Washington for you. That was all a long way of saying congratulations to Washington for winning. Congratulations. We just can't help ourselves at making jokes, but really, congratulations, Huskies. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Byron Murphy had himself a hell of a game too, and along yeah, with Chase Hansen absolutely. and Ben Burkhurf and all that stuff. So. Um, let's get into the big game because uh, there is a website, Rob, where you can send uh, a dog manure to somebody's house. And I was very close <laughs> to doing that with David Shaw. Uh, oh, I was, you're, like, your David Shaw hatred goes so deep. It, I have a huge amount of respect for David Shaw, what he's been able to do at Stanford to build that program, to have a, an identity and continue the success of Harbaugh. That is not uh, an easy thing to do. I think that he recruits incredibly well. One of my worries with Stanford this year was, okay, they don't have the types of recruits that they've had in the past on defense. Let's see what happens. The defense more or less came into fruition as the season went along and will be better next year. Um, uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So like, I like David Shaw. The reason I get so frustrated with him is because he has got Stanford to that precipice every single, like almost every season. And, and almost every season he makes these decisions that are so cons like Barry Goldwater conservative. We're talking like just so conservative that he doesn't want to do anything. Yeah. And the thing that drove me nuts this, this game, Rob was, it was the, at the end of the second half, 
and the game's close at this point. Like, and, and Shaw, to his credit, like launches a bomb to our Sega Whiteside because I thought I think there was like a minute left in the game, and I was just basically thinking, oh, he's going to run up the middle three times, and uh, and so they throw a bomb to our Whiteside. They get to the three or four yard line with about I want to say it was thirty seconds left to a minute left, and he has a timeout, and they. They. This is where I want them to run the ball. I'm like you're on the three yard line with Bryce Love. I understand you can't run the ball well, but like do something creative and go around the edges or something. And yeah. he throws a bad fade left, a bad fade right, and then kicks a field goal with like five seconds left with a timeout. I'm going, oh my gosh, the spreads too. Like freaking get a touchdown in here. Like, that, that was the quintessential David Shaw to to have time left and on third down before the half ends to kick the field goal on third down, not fourth down on third down with a timeout in your pocket. It was everything that you would want in a David Shaw coaching experiment and more. And I was tearing my hair out with all that said, um, he did have a tremendous amount of trust in his defense to win this game. And they did. And the reason is because Cal's offense is a mess. Because you're playing Cal. Like you can, like it doesn't matter who the defense is you could trust them i i'm sorry to bring out that one instance but it just drove i was i, I was apoplectic no it's a, i mean it's funny because like shaw always makes the conservative call always um and it's funny because like i and i appreciate that you roast him for it because the conservative call drives me crazy uh as well because usually like instead of punting if it's fourth and like less than three go for it like Keeping the ball is important um, and super valuable, but the uh, like it's funny to watch like coaches get roasted for doing like non traditional or non conventional things. Um, but I appreciate that we roast David Shaw for always always going turtle. Third down with five I mean, no, seconds I mean, left, just, you kick the field goal. Jeez, you uh, have to get those three points if you're David Shaw. Like you just have to. Like there's no. You know, and it is, well, it's funny because the two games where we've, we've, where I have gone off on Shaw are two games that he's won. And it was this game where he trusted his defense and his defense. Uh, oh, no, that ASU up. game, like, yep. we, we, I agree. Like, he, Stanford was running away with it. ASU was totally face planting. And, um, yeah, like Shaw just totally opened the door for them in that game. With that said, they still won 23 to 13. The line on this Rob was two, which we thought was bizarre. Um, yes. Our questions were, how is Cal going to score? And the question is, the, the answer to that was they're not going to score. That, that's that's the answer to the question. How are they going to score? Uh, Costello didn't have a... a game breaking like a Heisman what they call that Pontiac Heisman moment type of game but 237 and a touchdown Bryce Love like look Cal's defense is awesome and yeah. Bryce Love still got 74 yards it wasn't a crazy stat line uh, I forget who does Stanford have in their bowl Pitt <laughs> yeah Pitt. <laughs> ACC runner-up Pitt oh, five my. losses I'm curious to see what their defense is like to see. I would love to see a game where Bryce Love just goes nuts and gets 150 yards and two touchdowns. I doubt that that will happen, but it would be nice for him to end his career at Stanford on that front. So uh, what what else did you see in this game, Rob, aside from coaching decisions? I mean, aside from uh, Garbers looking utterly incompetent. I mean, there was a huge Patrick Laird run. So there was like a Patrick Laird sighting. Like he had like a 60 yard run. Um and you knew because it's Patrick Lair that he was going to get caught from behind, and he was. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love you, Patrick Laird. 
like you had a great you had a great career for a former walk on. Um, but the uh, yeah, this 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 game, like it, it all came down to, to Cal's offense being totally, utterly ineffective yet again. Um, I don't know. It's just Cal's offense. I mean, we joked about Utah's offense and um Washington's offense being bad, but they are nothing. They are they are actually pretty good some days, and they are excellent, excellent compared to Cal's offense. I mean, Cal's offense is uh, unbelievably incompetent. The one uh, thing that I forget almost every game is that Chase Garbers can run a little bit, and there were a couple <laughs> instances where he would scramble, and I just went, oh, because yeah, I had money on the Stanford game, so my heart is just sinking into my chest, going, ah, oh, he got another first down. That's that's all. <laughs> that's the one positive thing I could say about this Cal offense is the fact that they can run. Um, we will never know what happened to uh, Ross Bowers. Uh, I think it's a bummer because I, I you know, maybe this. Offense I still don't understand what was so bad about Ross Bowers last year that you like lock him in a closet and let Garbers and what's the other guy McElwain just throw interceptions. <laughs> I just. You know, it'll be interesting to see if he transfers because he wasn't like seen this entire year and maybe he was hurt or something. I don't know. I would assume oh, no, that he's definitely have- got his Richard available. That's how little we saw him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so get get over to a, a program that needs you, uh, Bowers, and, uh, and and go get paid or something. Um, Jay's just saying a white side, you know, five receptions, 109 yards. Uh, well, Stanford did it with Irwin got hurt. So Stanford did do this without their number two wide receiver. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty. I mean, Cal is a very good defense, so this was a pretty good offensive outing from Stanford. Oh, the one person I wanted to bring it up, point out was uh, Paulson Abdeo. I think is how you saying his name. The game was on silent, <laughs> but uh, he had himself a heck of a game. Two interceptions, and it wasn't just those. I thought he played really well against oh, Adibo. Yeah, Adibo. Adibo is Adibo is the truth. Like that that dude can play. Um, I thought he was getting a little overhyped earlier in the season. I can't remember which game I was watching. Um, and they were just going on and on and on about a Debo. Um, but actually like he's, he, he proved it all out throughout the season. Like he's a Debo, uh, next year probably is a uh, first team all conference. Yeah. Six one one eighty nine two. So he's got some height in the size. And he's got Dwayne Aquino coaching him. Like he's going to have, he's going to be good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what Stanford looks like next year on the defensive front. I do think that they grow. Where where did they end up at the end of the season, Rob, uh, and Bader rank their defense? Uh, their defense? Let me find them. Uh, they ended up at 53, which is good compared to where they were at points of the season, actually. Um, so that's that's a little improvement off of where they were last year. Yeah, last um, year they, they were really, like 80, right, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they really fell off the map last year. So this is good for them. Um, they really need to fig- figure out the pass rush consistently. Because um, if you have a Debo out there and you can just put him in man, basically, and shut down um, the opponent's best receiver, then like that really opens up what you should be able to do defensively. But you still got to get to the quarterback. Yep, absolutely. And... I guess the the biggest frustration because I mean I'm glad that the Stanford defense has made a jump but last year and even this year you know if you rank 50 eh, this isn't the Stanford defense that we've had in the past that's the frustration I think I have with Shaw yeah. where it's like you don't have the defense that you had three or four years ago like they, they're not just going to stop 
everybody. <laughs> this is not a great defense. So when you, I don't know how, yeah. how do you feel about the trajectory of Stanford as a program? Like that's what I just sort of don't know at the moment. It's like it almost feels like it's their sort of in slow decline relative to where the rest of the North is going. And I like, I don't know. Like, I feel like if I don't know that their defense makes a big, big jump next year, what does their offense look like without their wide receivers and Bryce love gone? I don't yeah, know. Like, that, I, Cause I feel like Oregon's recruiting like gangbusters. Washington isn't going anywhere. Mike Leach basically decided to show up big this year. Ooh, I don't know. You know, I, be interesting to see what their recruiting class is. I was looking at the numbers when we were doing the podcast last week, but he hasn't been recruiting at the elite level that Shaw had done four or five years ago. So they're still doing yeah. well in the Pac-12. Like they're bringing in some good people. I liked the player development that they had this year, so that's encouraging. But I'm with mm-hmm. you. Like I guess the one thing that they could do is they do have those two big tight ends, like almost every year, but they have two more of them. So maybe they go. They, they turn more towards that and less towards the white side because he's going to be gone. I think Irwin's a senior. He's going to be gone. They do have a couple of kids that they brought in that were five to four star uh, wide receivers that were kind of stuck behind uh, white side and Irwin. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to break through. But my biggest worry, Rob, yeah. is on their running back front. If you... Um, I just was not impressed with anybody that wasn't Bryce Love, and Bryce Love didn't have a good season this year. So uh, they, they've done pretty well I'm on the sure offensive, line. offensive line. Like holy moly, like they couldn't run. Like Stanford couldn't run the football. Like how <laughs> Stanford <laughs> couldn't run the football with mostly the same dudes that they had last year on O line. Like it was it was weird. Yeah, let's we'll take a look. There was that recruiting class he brought in where he had like the three, four, and sixth best uh, offensive linemen in the country. And then they're part of this team and still couldn't run block. But, you know, let's give them another year and see what they can do. But um, with a bad running back behind them, (laughs) it could be interesting. But I think that's a good point to bring up and we'll definitely take a look. Um, Anything else on the big game? No, I mean, if I'm a Cal fan, though, I mean, take heart. Like the defense was just awesome. Awesome this year. Um, And, you know, like. If it's not working out offensively, go hire yourself a new OC because I say that like I, I thought Bo Baldwin was a good hire, but um, like if you can hire an offensive scheme and make huge improvement like in in the next year or so, they should definitely evaluate whether they think that's working or not. Yeah, seven wins. Take that if you're a Cal fan for sure. Heck yeah, with that kind of an offense, like getting to seven wins is a Christmas miracle. <laughs> All right, let's get into the juicy stuff here, Rob. There was a four part series. <laughs> out of the Oregonian that highlighted what was going on in the Pac-12. And I it was fascinating reading. There was so many good quotes in here, and I took pictures of them because I'm going to tweet them out from uh, Wildcat <laughs> Radio and probably 12-Pack Radio, too, um, just to kind of highlight some of the stuff that went on. But let's start at the beginning. I think the first uh, the first piece was about the new headquarters opening up in downtown basically San Francisco, which is ridiculous. And the amount of rent, I think it was what, $6.9 million. Is it a year for rent? Yeah. And then $11 million in deferred rent. That is insane. And if you've ever been to Chicago, there's a perfect example. And I love the fact that who was the, who's the writer that did all this stuff, Rob? John Canzano. Yeah, it was excellent work. If you haven't checked it out, absolutely do it. We'll make sure to tweet it out from both of our Twitter accounts there. So you can read it. The, 
The thing that stood out for me the most was his comparison of the Pac-12 to other conferences that are doing significantly better than Pac- the Pac-12 financially, yeah. uh, competitively, rec- <laughs> recruiting front. Like they are wiping the floor with the with the Pac-12 basically. And if if you've ever been to Chicago and you're driving like you're driving on some like random highway well outside the city. And then all of a sudden you see this random building that says like big, tw- big 10 headquarters. You're going like, what? what is it doing out here? That's where the big 10 is. Right. Pac 12 right. is in like uh, the 13 and 14th floor of some like ridiculously expensive um, area in San Francisco trying to, and I'm using quotes right now, harness the technology and talent of the area. <laughs> I mean, that's the oh excuse. That's like me moving into downtown Portland from the suburbs and saying, Oh, I really need a network here. I mean, like it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I think the first piece <clears throat> you, you hit the high point, which is that everyone focused on, which was the rent, right? Like, uh, if you gave every school in the conference an additional $500,000 a year, and that's not even getting into like deferred rent, um, like that, that's, that's a improved coordinator, you know, like that's, that's a better strength coach. Easy. Um, you know, and I think every athletic director in the conference, you know, would know how to spend that money. Um, but they also, you're right, they hit on um, some of the, the, you know, the big disparities in in performance with with dollars with the Pac-12, and um, it's going to get to the point where it's ten million dollars a year up until that 2024 when the Pac-12 media rights are available again. Um, and they they went. I mean, they if you're not familiar. Um, and I think everyone, I mean, particularly if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably pretty hardcore Pac-12 fan. But um, the Pac-12 is a bit different. It owns all of its media rights, um, which means like because what the SEC did and what the Big Ten did and what the ACC is, has done is they have all sold a little over 50 percent of their their ownership of their network to ESPN or Fox or somebody. Um and then the, the the running and the ownership of the network or the running and the day-to-day running of the network falls into the, the media company. So ESPN runs um, the SEC network. Fox runs the Big Ten network. Uh, but you also get the negotiating heft of Fox and ESPN, ABC behind you when you go to try to get into more homes. Um, so those conferences made much better financial deals given the current financial setup. And it's – Man, ten million dollars a year is a lot of money. Um, that's a that's a very that's that's a whole coaching staff, basically football coaching staff. I should that's pre- crazy, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I should preface this all by saying, like, I think the players should get paid. Period. So that all this yes. bothers everything bothers me, right? So I've right. I always get frustrated with the college football arms race where you see programs. Let's just take Arizona for example, because that's one that we cover uh, closely. Like you know, dishing out stakes every afternoon for lunch and I'm just going like, can you just give them the, like, this is so stupid. Right. Like in Texas, they have a, a, a big screen where it was like, uh, they have a TV in every single locker room. Like who, yeah. why would, who even needs that? It's so ridiculous. So just know if you're tearing your hair out by saying like, we'll give the money to the players. Like we're, at least I'm on board with giving that money to the players. I'm on board with it. All that said, $10 million, like you were saying, Rob, is a whole coaching staff. <laughs> Like that's insane. Right. That's how you stay competitive. That's a well-paid coaching staff. Like, cause there's only, you know, you only can only have 10 assistants paid assistants. So, um, it was, it was dispirit. And 
I, I'm not going to name the company I used to work for that decided to open up an office in Silicon Valley to try to harness the synergy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, like, I live in Columbus, Ohio now, but I used to work in New York City. And so, like, I, I do understand, like, there, there are some types of, types of jobs and types of uh, business where it just, it makes sense. There are network effects um, that sort of, like, come into play uh, around that. And there's, there's, like, there's a really boring, but I find very fascinating branch of economics that studies, like, the organization of cities. But um, there's not, like... I just don't, I don't see it here. Like, what's the point? Like, you're not like Twitter isn't coming in and bidding for PAC 12 games right now. Like at least in any meaningful way with any meaningful dollars. Um, and you can always like, that's the part that I think I don't understand about this. If you're the PAC 12 network, like you could have put yourself anywhere and because you are who you are, like you would have been able to hire the talent. Like there are only so many jobs where you can go around and like cover sports in that way. Like you are, you would have found yourself able to hire good talent pretty quickly. I don't buy the argument that they had to put it in San Francisco or LA in particular, like downtown San Francisco. Like that's crazy talk. Um, cause like, I, like, like, like I, I used to, like I have been in parts, like when I was at a startup in New York, like I have sat in negotiations on rent. <laughs> it is, it is, like nothing else like you're just like i can't, like are we even like in your head you're like how are we even going to make that kind of money <laughs> like, i love uh, i love this core i was as a larry is a lavish guy said bill moose the former yeah. or- oregon and washington state athletic director he runs the pac-12 like he's the commissioner of major league baseball yeah and he does i mean he but he he basically he justifies it with that unlike um Unlike the the commissioner of the um, of the other conferences, he actually also fully runs a media company, and so he claims that he's a media executive as well. And I don't know. I guess to that I would say, like, well, you're not a very successful one because you're not bringing in nearly as much money as anyone else. Absolutely, Larry Scott. Well, his salary is four point eight million dollars. Um, the salary of Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, is one point nine million dollars. The relocation fee uh, and and costs that were paid – oh, I'm sorry. The relocation loan that was given to Larry Scott to move was $1.8 million. (laughs) Was he moving gold bricks, Rob? Like what what the heck? That is – I mean that is also completely crazy because Larry Scott's not really – I mean I – I mean, full disclosure, I, I am a lead data scientist in my day job. <laughs> so uh, believe it or not, and I, I work in digital primarily. So I, I do get hit up to go like, hey, like, have you thought about working at Facebook? Like, come run a team of data scientists there. And I'm always, always come back to like, no, I know I li- just left New York. I know what cost of living is. Um, but like one point eight million dollars, like that's a that's pretty steep. Like normally they, normally you don't get that kind of a closing cost. Like that, it's, it's a little frustrating because I, what Larry Scott seems to have negotiated with the PAC 12 CEO group, the presidents is a deal that is a little more like the golden, like the, the, the C-suite stuff that you see, um, in corporate America. But like the, the, that's not the way the conferences have traditionally run. Um, and that's a little odd. I think that they they sort of let themselves get bamboozled in this way. 
Yeah, and the big thing to mention here is that the basically the running of Scott's contract and the decisions to keep him and give him an extension, which we shall also talk about, is this is a decision made by the college presidents, not the athletic directors. And there seems to be some significant friction there, particularly this last week when Washington State basically came out and lobbied on their own behalf to get into a a New Year's Day bowl game outside of the way the Pac-12 does it, which is very different and very rare. And basically the athletics director said, I don't trust the Pac-12. Like he didn't say it in these words, but he basically said it in not these words saying, I didn't trust the Pac-12 network, like any, anybody there to um, make a a petition on our behalf. So we're going to do it on our own like that. I'm glad that that stuff's happening because that hasn't necessarily been the case in the last couple of years. Um, And you haven't seen a lot of athletic directors publicly come out and start complaining. And it seems like that dam is starting to break a little bit. Does that sound fair? It, it does to some extent. I just, I guess what I wonder, I mean, cause like they may face, I, I fully expect them to face more questions, you know, and I think that even the university presidents are going to ask more questions, but I, I wonder for all of this to work, you have to believe in Larry Scott's vision. Like Larry Scott's vision is, that you don't sell that 50% of the network to someone else because in a future world of a la carte, like being able to fully own your media rights because you may not have to pass through someone for distribution anymore, um, should in theory set you up for more revenue. Um, you have to believe that that's true. I don't necessarily believe that that's true. Um, because it's not I mean, we like people sort of thought like, you know, that uh, all the like the distribution would go away. And I just those companies have sort of made themselves more indispensable in a way by like getting further and further, like buying them further and further into the chain, um, you know, going further vertical and like trying to own the pipes of like distribution. Into the, like it's just I don't think that it's going to work, I guess. It's, and and in the short run, like the Pac-12 is really paying the price for this. Like I can't, we'll keep coming back to it, but like $10 million a year versus the big 10 and the sec. Like that's so much money. Yeah. And it puts the Pac-12 at a significant recruiting disadvantage and coaching disadvantage. And like, look, I have not bought into the fact that we're going to get blown off the map. Uh, it still is the Pac-12. There is something to be said for being on the West Coast. <laughs> the standard yeah. living is better. Like, who doesn't want to go to Los Angeles and uh, some of these areas? So I understand that. So I haven't bought into the full panic that, oh, this is going to be a league that's not going to be in the Power Five anymore. I I don't. I'm, I'm out on that front. With that said, there is a lot of fixing to be had here. And the second portion of this story was the <laughs> really focused on Woody Dixon, who is the general counsel <laughs> Oh, it was beautiful. I'm so glad that somebody actually did this. This was a really good piece of reporting um, from the Oregonian. And then, so we all know Woody Dixon. He was the person that had called into the Pac-12 officiating booth that was doing all the replays and basically saying that targeting was not targeting. Um, And finally, somebody dug into that and kind of try to identify, okay, is this happening? How did this happen? Does this continue to happen? I think it's it's tough because I think that they have not put the adequate... It's harder to tell because they have not put the adequate safeguards around it yet where you can tell they really took it seriously. 
that's the concern is like where where Dixon is still like just feet away from the replay booth, you know, on Saturday, like Dixon needs to be as fully hands off as possible. And part of the way you do that is you you insulate it, you know, like you put layers in there so that you don't have it. Uh, and I just uh, I mean, the, the the full reporting on that where like Dixon like called in to overturn that basic from his ha- wasn't it from his house like it, it was yeah i mean just <laughs> oh man that is bad i mean not even the like oh he just happened to be in the room like he felt entitled to call in and overturn that like that's crazy um but i can't like this whole part of the reporting on this and i say this because this is I get by a little bit on this, like, cause I, I came up in a corporate culture that's a little bit like Amazon. And so you can just kind of tell people like, you're not doing a good job <laughs> in so many words. Um, and they're not going to get their feelings hurt over it. Like that's just the way the office works. Um, you can get away with being a jerk if you're right. Most of the time, like and Larry Scott and Woody Dixon come off like monumental jerks with like every interaction that anyone talks about with them. And they're mostly wrong. Like, that's the part with, like, with this Dixon stuff. Like, even the, like, where he, like, they had direct quotes, quotes from him, you know, where Kanzano had gotten text messages from him, like, to the Washington State Athletic Director, to Mike Leach. Like, he just comes off as a total jerk and, like, just an entitled jerk. Like, a, a person that has no football training whatsoever, no officiating training, like, Sitting on their home, sitting at home, eating guacamole, being like, <laughs> "That's not targeting." I'm gonna like, what? Like, look at it. His buddies like, watch this. Like, it calls in and overturns it. Right? Like, come on. I love the text uh, exchange that you had mentioned. So, there's a text message from Mike Leach saying to Woody Dixon, "Why can't I help wondering if you're trying to manipulate wins and losses?" Dixon shot back, "Mike, don't ever again accuse me of manipulating wins and losses. Please show this text to your AD and have him give me a call." <laughs> like, holy Moses. Like what kind of culture is going on? If that's just part of it, I am curious to see what some of this other stuff has happened in the past. Uh, but also you're seeing some of the cracks come in from Utah. Utah's athletic director just came in to her credit and um, openly said, "Hey, Hey, I've seen these reports and really want to get to the bottom of this and see if we can, she didn't say make changes, but like there, you know, it's that kind of nebulous, basically she's kind of pushing for, Hey, let's, let's start taking a look, bigger look at this, but whether it's Washington state or USC, who's has had to play at funky times or like, you know, just think of all the communication has gone back and forth and just that, uh, and like you mentioned, that entitlement language that's coming from the leadership, that's got to be really frustrating. Uh, let's see. What was, the th- what was the third article about here? Oh, yeah. That's about the direct TV deal or non-deal. <laughs> hey, I, I loved how he started this with basically he, he starts with Chip Kelly meeting with Florida and kind of going over a deal and trying to see if he wants to be the coach there. And then basically jumping over to UCLA and taking the UCLA job. And Larry Scott had touted this as like, look, we're competitive. We can bring Chip Kelly to one of our flagship programs. And that's kind of true. Like Kelly just wanted to be in California. And when you have a, (laughs) when you, when you have a buyout 
from an NFL team that allows you to do some more stuff. And the similar thing with Kevin Sumlin, um, at getting his buyout from Texas A&M where they paid it to him in a lump sum, allowed Arizona to get him. And then basically he starts off making the point of like, look, this financial stuff can hurt over time because it makes colleges do some out of the box stuff, which I think is good. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just need to hire the right person. And whether it's um, Oregon State paying less money for Jonathan, Jonathan Smith or ASU paying less money for Herm Edwards, you start getting into these hires where you're going like, hmm, is this the right person? Now, I would argue that uh, Herm Edwards has been a little bit better than I had anticipated, but he still won the same amount of games that his predecessor did, and they paid $15 million to get rid of him. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I loved how that he opened that with basically saying like, look, Chip Kelly just wanted to be in California, and that's the reason the Pac-12 got him. Uh, but then they go into the direct TV deal, and yeah, it is frustrating, right? Like we've we've gone through all this. I don't want to like rehash the direct TV stuff, but we still have listeners on both of our podcasts that are saying like, I still can't get these games, <laughs> and it's ridiculous, right, Rob? Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where they they really misread the market, um, and I think Kenzana does a really good job of explaining why DirecTV sort of took the line that they did um, and why the Pac-12 sort of left themselves with nowhere else to go on this, and that is that, like, you know, the DirecTV needed some optional pricing uh, in order to make it work on their end, um, and uh, if they if they didn't have that, like you can, you can see Kinsano sort of clearly presents like, all right, like that's not going to financially work probably for direct TV there. Um, but what, what wasn't there was that the PAC 12 had put in as part of their other contracts, they had put in automatic escalators or de-escalators with their rates with other carriers that if they gave direct TV, this, uh, sort of flexible rating, um, then, you know, those other carriers would have automatically gotten it as well. And the PAC 12 would have made less money on their other, uh, on their other deals. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just, it was a, it's bad negotiating, right? Like, um, Larry Scott probably could have gotten a, like with those other carriers, Larry Scott, like he would have probably had to pay a little on those rates he got with those other carriers to not have that in the contract. Like you, you give up a little in your rate to not have that guarantee that, that, uh, that in there, that escalator in there, but man, like you, you, you pay to have that flexibility. Um, so you can go out and land somebody if you need to land somebody and they, man, like just bad negotiating all around. And there's, there's, there's literally with direct TV and the current pac contracts, it seems like there's actually nothing they can do. And that's, that's all on Larry Scott. <laughs> and I know they were hoping to get with direct TV and the ATT, AT&T merge. Um, so like, so here's a question I have for you, Rob. So the PAC 12 network was basically dropped from UVerse. I don't yeah. know what that is. So I use sling TV, uh, and you, and like we have a family plan for YouTube TV. So I don't know exactly. Do you know what that is? The UVerse? Yeah. So AT&T stepped into the world of providing, because AT&T also provides cable to people, um, or not cable, but internet. Uh, and so as part of that, like in the same way that Spectrum provides internet and cable, um, AT&T started offering a TV package called UVerse. So it's just the same. It's like a, the AT&T is also a cable provider as well as having direct TV. <laughs> so, is it like Xfinity, like for Comcast? Yeah. Is that, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like that. Um, 
but it's uh yeah like not only do does uh AT&T now the Pac-12 isn't even on that anymore like AT&T has walked completely away um and one of the ways that actually they could have got this deal done is they could have they could have sold off some equity essentially to AT&T um and made them a partner with the network and that may not have I don't know. That's that's sort of an interesting one because there's no there's no big player. I mean, I guess you could go to ESPN or maybe you could go to Fox. I believe ACC the ACC network went to ESPN, so maybe Fox would be in the in the desire you know would want to bring on the Pac-12. But it is interesting because you AT and T is not in the distribution like a wide distribution game, um, but you might if you negotiated a deal with them be able to get the Pac-12 network on almost everyone that uh, AT&T and DirecTV deals out to at a low enough tier that you get a lot more, a lot more households than you have now. I don't know. Um, that's sort of a, that like selling to AT&T gives you in some ways like a more narrow footprint that you have there, but it gives you like where you're, where you're negotiating power sort of carries. And then, Within that footprint, you could have a very high percentage of homes carrying it. Uh, but I don't know. Like this, this, this right now though is like the Pac-12 comes in in 2024 when all of the contracts expire again, uh, and they are they're going to be in some interesting places. I think with with uh, with everyone. I don't I don't know that they're going to be able to get anywhere near the kind of money that Larry Scott probably needs to save his job. Although if, in 2024, if Larry Scott is still the commissioner, we are in a world of... <laughs> well, I think but, the, like, that's the only thing I can say. After reading this, it's even worse than I thought. The bummer is they're like, I really like Kate Scott. I really like Yogi Roth. I really like the shows that they do. Like, I think that the things that the Pac-12 network does, a lot of it they do is, is quite high quality. And one of the <laughs> things that the... Uh, the journalists had brought out was the fact that they did bring in some good talent to do their shows. And you can see that. So like if you're into college football, the the drive is quite fun to watch. There's good stuff there. And I like that the changes that they've made, but man, it just seems like we are trailing far behind. And I was glad that somebody had covered that front. I think the last thing to say was the video of Larry Scott announcing his five year oh, contract. God, that was bad. Oh man. <laughs> So like imagine I've I've been a manager. Um I I could not find a world in which I would record myself telling people about the twenty five million dollar raise that I just received and how everybody participated in it. Like it was when, when you watched that, what were the what came to mind for you, Rob? So I started out working at American Express. Um and Ken Chenault is the CEO at Amex, like exceedingly bright person. Um, he was on the president's council of advisors on like the business roundtable, that kind of thing. I could never imagine like Ken Chenault would do like videos and things like that where he would talk to you, but it'd be about like, you know, business results, that kind of thing. Like I could never imagine getting a, a, Hey, congrats. Like the board just re up me like good for me and for you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like, and I'm like, sharing a million of it with everyone. Like that was like, not part of the announcement. Send an email like a normal human, Larry. Like, God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, if you haven't read those articles 
do so. They're quite good. We'll make sure to send them out again. Let's move on, Rob, from that to the actual bowls. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bowls that the Pac-12 has made. And let's we'll get into these as the weeks progress. So like the first one that comes up is the Vegas Bowl with ASU and Fresno State. We'll talk about that and break it down, do all the numbers and all that stuff. And we may even bring on like friends from different fan bases and podcasts, more podcasts, like, uh, but experts in these teams that kind of break down the, so just know that we're planning that stuff. But Rob, let's go through and just do some basic impressions of the game. So the first one is December 15th on ABC, the Las Vegas Bowl, like I mentioned, ASU versus Fresno State. I'm pretty excited about this bowl. This might be one of the more interesting ones that we have this year. Yeah, this is actually, this is a, should be a good game, but man, Fresno's a tough draw. Like, I mean, Fresno is a good football team. Um, at 10 and two and they they have a very good defense uh sitting at number 14 in beta rank and they are a favorite in this game um in beta rank so uh they came in um asu only has about a 30 percent win probability in this game and fresno should be about a seven point favorite in the model oh buddy i'm very excited about this game there's some other ones here i'm just going oh my gosh we're gonna have to watch this Speaking of, December 26th on ESPN, the Cheez-It Bowl in Phoenix, TCU versus Cal. And I got to go back and look at TCU's record. My understanding, just listening to the solid verbal, we I try to primarily focus on Pac-12 football. So we watch almost every game. If we miss one, it's like a half of, of the game. I don't know too much about TCU other, other than they have been mocked <laughs> multiple times on solid verbal. <laughs> this is going to be the worst bowl game of the season. So... Um, it's a true toss up in the model 50, 50. Um, so it's 63 TCU versus 65 Cal, but this is just wait. This is so much fun. This is so exciting. So, um, Cal's defense comes at number 19 and their offense at one nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, TCU's defense is number 17 and their offense is number one Oh three. Oh my gosh. This would be like that <laughs> this, sun bowl. This from be years the worst ago. football game. Of the entire bowl season. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. Um, we will maybe watch that game. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I will maybe like for whatever, for whichever team scores the most defensive touchdowns, or if somebody gets a punt return for a touchdown, I promise I will watch those highlights, oh. <laughs> but that's about it. That I, <laughs> I can probably bring myself to do. Yeah, definitely tune in to get to wildcatradioaz.com where we're going to have our bull pool contest and we will definitely have a prize and it will be a good prize. Usually we give out tickets to your team's game or something like that. So uh, definitely check that out. It will give you an excuse to watch this game (laughs) if you really need one. Uh, The next one is December 28th on ESPN, the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio, Iowa State at Washington State. Talking about Larry Scott, he had released a statement basically saying, like, we're really thrilled that I mean, he kind of had to. So I don't want to I don't want to criticize him for stuff that he couldn't do. But basically saying, like, a really competitive and strong Iowa State team. And I'm going, are we sure about that? (laughs) This is just such a crappy Washington state deserves better. They do. Um, this was a fun offense. They had a pretty good defense and to be stuck in the Alamo bowl against Iowa state. I really wish they would have drawn somebody that was of a higher caliber. Rob, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be more fun if they would have gotten West Virginia. Um, I mean, that would have been a barn burner of a game. Uh, the number five offense with Washington state against the number nine offense, uh, with West Virginia, but don't sleep on Iowa state. They're ranked number 27 in beta rank. Um, 
And this is actually this game is pretty close to a toss-up, actually. So Wazoo is a favorite, but um, they're only a 57% uh, win probability favorite in beta rank. Uh, about 2.4 points uh, favorite uh, in the spread versus beta rank uh, with beta rank. So I, this should be a fun game. I mean, I, I, I would like to like this. Uh, this Iowa State staff is uh, pretty good. It is, and Washington State always is terrible in bowls. So. So guess what team I'll be at the end of this game. Uh, uh, all right, December 31st uh, on Fox, the Redbox Bowl. New sponsor, Redbox in Santa Clara. Michigan State versus Oregon. Woof. Um, it's, ugh, I, I mean, I'm going to watch this game, but on a scale of like one, two, exciting, I'd put it at a four. Um I mean, the one thing to mention is that Justin Herbert will be healthy and he will be playing in this game. That was one of the questions I had was whether or not he would actually be playing this waiting for the NFL draft to come. He will actually play in this game, which is a big boost for Oregon. Just initial thoughts on this, Rob. Uh, initial thoughts is this is not a very interesting game. I have to say I agree with you. Um, so, yeah, this is Michigan State's a slight favorite. Um, Oregon's got a 40, about a 43% win probability in the game. Uh, Michigan state is roughly, uh, about a 2.4 point favorite in the model. Um, I, my big question is, is Peyton Sewell going to be healthy enough to play the Oregon's freshman left tackle? Oh, good call. Good call. Um, Speaking of uninteresting games, December 31st on Fox Sports <laughs> 1, the Holiday Bowl. Oh, my sweet, sweet Moses. Northwestern versus Utah. And look, Utah fans, very, very excited that, that again, we've already given, we've, we have paid our penance. Pen, how do you say that? Penitence? Penance. Penance. We, we have paid I our penance. I know what it is. <laughs> um, but, but obviously, with the freshman quarterback and with Zach Moss out, you know, if this if this defense can move the ball against Northwestern, God bless you, um, because this is a good Northwestern defense that also can't play offense. This is going to be another like take the under in this game a million times over, uh, which is a bummer. I, I really wish that Utah was full strength because that team was fun um, when they were able to move the ball a little bit better. And I do think that Northwestern is this might be the the Pac-12 championship all over again. I hope not. I hope Utah wins, but I don't have high hopes for points being scored on the board. Your thoughts are up. No, I fully agree. Like Northwestern's defense comes in at number uh, 22 and their offense comes in at number 84. So this could be brutal if Utah doesn't get it going. Uh, Hundley may be back for this game uh, from the collarbone. Zach Moss definitely will not be. So if Hundley can play, that'd be great uh, for the game's watchability. (laughs) Also be great if Utah's receivers would not drop footballs. For this game's watchability, um, Utah should have a big special teams advantage. They're roughly a 69% uh, win probability favorite in the model and about 6.4 points in the spread first hmm. from the model. Okay. Um, the next one, December 31st, same day on CBS, the Sun Bowl. This is the frowny face game. I really wish that Stanford had a better team to play than Pitt, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing all that exciting about this game. Uh, Stanford's about a 67, no, 68 percent win probability favorite in the model, about uh, 5.7 points. So um, Stanford should walk away with the win in this game. Like, don't, don't, don't embarrass the conference and lose to Pitt. <laughs> ACC runner-up, Pitt. Rob, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's really the ACC runner-up. 
Uh, in the big game, January 1st on ESPN, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, Ohio State versus Washington. Uh, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how jacked up or depressed Ohio State is coming in this game, not being in the playoff. That does matter. Um, I don't know. Like, I think Washington's going to be underrated in this game. I don't think anybody outside the West Coast understands that they have a good defense. So maybe you can get some value there. But I frankly have not watched a lot of Ohio State. By the way, as we break down these games, we'll take a deep dive into each team that isn't in the conference. So so it'll be a little bit more detailed than we're providing you guys right now. But Rob, what do you think? I live in Columbus, Ohio, so I have been to two ohio state games this season well one of them was against uh, oregon state so let's uh you've been to one and a half games (laughs) that's true and the other was nebraska and nebraska put up a lot of points on this ohio state defense Mm. um i think that this game should be interesting washington's has a pretty good secondary very good secondary um they haven't faced anybody in decent weather that can throw the ball around since Costello. He had a really bad game in the first half, three interceptions, but really turned it on in the second half against them. And Ohio State, they can run the football, but they really like uh, Washington's got about 40%. I mean, this is still fairly close to toss-up territory. They've got Washington's got a 40% chance to win in the model. Um, Ohio State is roughly a uh, three-point uh, one point favorite in the model. So this is, this should be a really good game. Um, and if Washington can just turn Ohio state over once they should, you know, they have a good chance to win or they could even win straight up. It'll be that close. That'd be such a big win for the pac 12. I mean, everybody's been dumping on us all year and to get a ball, like, to get a win at the Rose bowl, uh, the one thing to, to mention, just looking at all these games, is they are winnable for the most part. You know, not a lot of yeah. these are. Oh man, this is going to be a blowout, and and some of them will be because it's bowl season and crazy stuff happens. But um, these are pretty competitive. So there is a scenario where the Pac-12 comes out like five and two or four and three, and it doesn't you know dump all over itself like we did last year. Uh, certainly, the opposite could happen where it's depressing again. But I don't doesn't look like that'll be the case this year. You think that's what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the model went the model went eight and one with the Pac-12 last year uh, in bowls. It, it picked the Pac-12 to lose a lot of games. Um, this year, it's actually the, the Pac-12 is more of a favorite in games than they are um, expected to lose. So that's positive. Um, and it's got the Pac-12 at the very least is expected to win half of these games. So the expected wins is about 3.5. So just pick up one extra game and then it looks like a pretty good bowl season for the Pac-12. If you can just get above 500, you just, you can't have anything like the disaster you had last year. Oh my gosh. That was super, super depressing. And remember the only team to win was Utah and they played a, a West Virginia team that was minus their quarterback. And, and if you watch yeah. that game, like again, Utah won, you play the, you play the opponent that you get. Uh, but West Virginia could not move that football. That quarterback was hot trash. <laughs> so uh, we were very close to going Oh and nine that or Oh and eight or whatever it was. Um, Rob, let's, let's do our, um, let's do our awards for, the players of the year next week. And, um, I have, I have some ideas for what to do that will make it pretty interesting. So, um, anything else that we should cover before we sign off? No, we, uh, we, we did it all justice and we'll do a deeper dive on the bowls. Um, then obviously we just did, <laughs> uh, and I should have all this posted. They just updated the game file. So I should have this all, most of this posted tomorrow. Nice. Yeah. Again, wildcat radio AZ for Rob's numbers and also for our bull pool contest. So check in there and we will catch you all next week.